I've had a, a, a very, very full week like you have, but I had a particular joy this weekend that I was invited to attend the National Prayer Breakfast up at the House of the Parliament. Wonderful event. It's a, an awesome privilege to go to that. Ended up praying in St. Mary's the Undercroft, which is a lovely jewel of a chapel underneath the Houses of Parliament itself with a number of other leaders. And we were just asking God. We, we started off with sort of fairly routine intercessory stuff, but then it kind of, I don't know, God came. We ended up praying for revival and it was wonderful. I prayed for, you know, with these guys and for you guys and for this community in which we serve and prayed for this series. It was just a thrill to be there. Afterwards, it was a lovely morning, you know, one of those sort of, we're beginning to get one or two nice mornings. And afterwards, I, and rather than jumping straight back on the, the tube to come home, I thought I'll just walk up, you know, towards the cenotaph, walk past Downing Street. And it was just a, a lovely morning. I was just sort of praying as I was going. And I walked into Horse Guards Parade, and there's all these American tourists and Chinese people. Well, I am thoroughly suited and booted. I am absolutely in the best clothes I own, because I've just been in the, you know, the House of Commons and had breakfast, had Lord Curry on my right and whoever knows on the left. You know, I was really prepared for this. And, and I turned up there, and immediately this kind of queue of, of tourists gathered around me, and they said, excuse me, sir, is, 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 are they going to be doing the change of the guard here, or shall I go up there? And, and they so asked me all this stuff. So I thought, well, what, who do you think I am? You know, so I sort of pointed them here, there, and everywhere. I thought, well, National Gallery is up there. You know, they'll enjoy that. You know, the river's that way, you know, that kind of thing. So they're probably all lost and confused, but, but it was very flattering to, to th that they thought I was a person of some substance and, and, uh, and, and influence. Anyway, so there we are. That's apropos of absolutely nothing. Um, let's pray. We'll get into the message. Father God, I want to say thank you to you for your presence, and thank you, Lord God, that you have not left us comfortless, that you, God, are the God of all comfort, and it's right when we turn to you for our comfort. Thank you, Lord God, that you have not made us speechless. You have given us a voice, and you've given us a story to tell. And as we begin this series, may we realize that the story that you have given us, the one that is personal to us, is compelling and God-breathed, and will be part of the story of other people as they come towards you. Give us that confidence and that courage. And Lord, as I share a few thoughts this morning, would you please breathe on them and make them effective so that this congregation might become better able to make Christ known and to welcome folk home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we begin. Last week was the prequel. If you missed it, please check it out on the uh, website, the media page, and what have you. And uh, so we begin this, this series, Walk Across the Room. As I said last week, uh, it all started for us right at the beginning of the year when we, we were sort of playing, you know, really. And somebody, we were rejoicing of the fact that we were looking forward to baptizing 20 adults, and we did that a few weeks ago. And, and then somebody just threw this thought out. It, it turned out to be like a hand grenade that exploded in our midst, which was basically, what would it be like if we were to baptize 100 people, this being our 25th anniversary year at Christmas? You know, what would we need to do? We'd, we'd, how would we disciple those people? How would we reach out to those people? And we realized very quickly that we would have to do more than we are currently doing. We would have to do something differently, because if you do in, in life in every sphere, you know, in relationships, in business, in all the rest of it. It's no good wishing for something to happen. If you do the same old, same old, same old, you'll get the same old, same old, same old results. 
So we thought, okay, well, let's just try and get intentional about this because it seemed that the Lord was challenging us. And so we thought about what we should do and what we should put in place. And one of the things that we needed to teach and preach, how to be more effective in sharing our faith. And that's what this series is about. And with that, I want to show you a little video clip which uh, we found during the week. And I thought it just kind of sums up at least in part, it doesn't sum up. In part, it says what we want to say. Thanks, guys. It still makes me well up. I've seen it a few times, and it's going to be like the theme as we teach this thing, but it kind of raises a question for me. Who are the, the James and the, the, you know, the Kims and the Thomases in your life? And, you know, it, it, it's just wonderful how often the way people come to Christ, end up as Christ followers, is, is a journey, and there are a number of significant people along the way. And I want to issue a little challenge. There'll be a number of challenges as we go through, I'm sure, but I want to issue a little challenge to you. You know, think about who it is that was responsible or paid a significant um, part in your journey to faith. Not everybody here may be in that place, but for those of you who are, think who that person is. And here's the challenge. Send them an email this week. Send them a card, give them a call. If they're in the neighborhood, walk across the street and just thank them again. Just say thank you to them. Uh, just affirm them in that. Those of you who have already started the 90-second challenge, which uh, we introduced last week, you can check that out on our website. Um, if, you've, if, if you've done that or been looking at the little 90-second videos about how people came to faith, you maybe have seen mine. And for me, it was a history teacher called Mr. Oddy. And he was having a bad day, there's no doubt about it. He was having a bad day, he was in a foul mood. And yet, when given an opportunity, he blurted out the gospel. He probably went home to his wife that night and said he'd done a useless job. But as I say in the little video, it hit me right here. It was what I needed to hear at that moment. And I will be forever grateful to Mr. Oddy, the history teacher. And he's my Nate and my James and my Kim and all the rest of it. Do you know, I've made quite strenuous efforts over the years uh, to, to, to thank him. In fact, it wasn't until about 10 or 15 years that a friend of mine said, have you ever said thank you to him? And, and I'd never done that, and I thought, how graceless that is of me. And I, I tried to track him down. I've not been able to as yet. I suspect now he's gone to be with the Lord in glory, but I, I hope one day to be able to sidle up behind, beside him in heaven and say, you know, thank you, Mr. Roddy, for your faithfulness. You may not have thought you did a good job, but it changed my life. And, and, and look at all these guys now. And so, you know, think about that person. Begin this series by being thankful and, uh, for what God has done for you and show that gratitude by sending a little email. You may have done it already, but do it again. Just say, just thought of you this week. And my pastor encouraged us just to, to say thank you to those who are instrumental in their story. But maybe here I'm asking you to walk before you can even stand. Maybe here, you know, telling your story, which we're trying to encourage you to do on the 90-second challenge, is a bit ahead of where you are. Well, that's gonna hope that hopefully this series will help you. Just walk across the room. Let's just think about that statement for a moment. Just walk across the room. You know, the truth is that every single one of us looks for circles of comfort. 
Uh, and in this context, I want to challenge you about your friendships. When you come into a room, when you come into this place, what do you do when you arrive? Do you look around to see if, who's here? Of course you do. Do you look around to see where your friends are, your family are, and you look around and there's a sea of faces and then you see that familiar face and you go over there and you say, hi there, Jim, how did the job interview go this week? I was praying for you, bro, and you, know, you share stories or whatever it is. You know. We do that in all sorts of situations in our lives. We, at work, at, at college, at home, at the school gate with the mums and all the rest of it. We look for those circles of comfort. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how we build community and build relationship. But I want to challenge you, and I believe this is a challenge that comes from the Lord himself. I want to challenge you to from time to time leave your circles of comfort and enter the zone of the unknown, into the zone of the unknown. It sounds like some sort of science fiction horror movie, B-movie. Dun, 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 dun. But actually, that's what we need to do. We need to take that chance. We need to step out, because to be honest with you, this is what the Church of Jesus Christ is made for. To not look for zones of, for circles of comfort. We do have that. We have the church, uh, we have our our small groups, we have our prayer partners, those significant people in our lives who pray for us and support us. God gives us that. He had his own disciples, didn't he? And he loved to spend time with them. Jesus was always taking them apart to one side. But most of their time was spent in the unknown, that place of risk. And he says of the church, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We'll just throw it up on the screen. Thank you. You are the salt of the earth. Is that... Do you, do you realize that? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled upon. There's no B plan. This wonderful faith we have, this wonderful gospel, this good news about Jesus, the Son of God, walking across the room, if you like, to engage with and encounter us and rescue us is then something he encourages us and indeed longs for us to do for others. And to be salt, salt, you only need a little salt. But if the salt never gets out of the shaker, it begins to go off. You know, I, last year, for the first time in many a long year, I went camping, went to a car show with Sam, my son. And, and I was getting stuff ready and I was going through my old camping bits and some of it was rubbish and some of it was fine and I found this, this uh, salt shaker thing and it felt like there was a brick inside. It had gone completely solid and I thought, well, what, what can I do? And you can't do anything with it. I had to throw it away. It had just been together for so long it had become like a block. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You only need a little salt to do a lot of seasoning. You know, you may be the only Christian in your workplace, but you, you can be a bit of seasoning in that place. I had a friend who worked for Ali Rally Industries in, in Nottingham when, when it was in the, the heyday, before they had all the stuff made in China and shipped over here. But he used to work there, and he was in the dispatch department, and, and stuff was going out and elsewhere, but stuff was going interdepartmentally, and he was praying about, he just felt so isolated there, and he just thought, I wonder... Well, what can I do? What can I do to walk across the room and to be a friend and all the rest of it? And the Lord just gave him a very simple little thing. He says, start putting a fish. You know those kind of Christian fish signs? He says, start putting a, a fish on all the interdepartmental stuff that goes out. So a pastor would come in and he would just do a little fish. That would go out. 
Well, after a little while, somebody came down to dispatch and said, who's the guy who keeps putting that flipping fish thing on there? And he sort of went, uh, me? He said, I've been wanting to meet with you. I'm a Baptist, I'm a ba- go to a Baptist church. You know, this guy was quite full on. I, I go to this Baptist church. Let's, why don't we pray for this place? And you know, over the course of the next three years when he was working there, a Christian fellowship began there, which started reaching out to fellow workers. And all because that guy heard a prompting of the Holy Spirit and put a little fish on his boxes as he sent them around the department. Amazing. I'm not saying necessarily do that with everything, but ask God what you should do. And that really is, is my next little thing, that you know, faith is spelled risk. F is spelled F-I-I, no. <laughs> faith is spelled risk. It's a vineyard thing. This is very true to us. This is who we are. From the very beginning of the vineyard movement, we have this funny little saying, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. You exercising your faith should make you feel like you're operating in the zone of the unknown, not just seeking out comfort, not just seeking out getting our needs met, which are legitimate. There's a place for that. But it should take you into that place where you feel a little bit out there. And in that place, in that place, We can listen out for the promptings of the Holy Spirit. This is so vineyard, folks. You know, in 102, we get taught to to minister in the promptings of the Holy Spirit and the healing ministry. Well, you know, all we do here, you know, this, this meeting place is the training place for the marketplace. All the skills and gifts that you learn here in in our essential classes and, and home groups and all the rest of it, these are to equip you to be able to do it out there. And you will find, if you sense an anointing here, you will, you will find yourself finding an extraordinary anointing out there. But what does this feel like, these promptings of the, 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 the Holy Spirit? You know, I want to say this in all sincerity. Whenever the, I, I sense God's anointing on me, how do I recognize it? I, I recognize it because it feels like fear. It feels like, oh no, please don't ask me to do that, oh God. You know, it's one thing to minister in your home group, you know, with a lovely sort of beatific smile, you know, St. Christopher of Hatfield, you know. But it's another thing to be out there in the workplace. And if, you know, your pulse rate goes up, and you, oh my gosh, you want me to sweep that, oh, oh my gosh. But I implore you, Take what you learn here and what you know of Christ and use it out there. Walk across the room. Step outside of your circle zone and into this zone of the unknown. Take a risk. Take a risk. You know, uh, at this point, what I would normally do is tell you some sort of story where God's prompted me by the Holy Spirit and I did this and it worked out fabulously. That's the way this works, isn't it? But last week, so many of you came up and said you'd really enjoyed me telling stories against myself. You're sick, the whole lot of you. <laughs> but I thought I'll tell you a story against myself about where I ignored a prompting of the Holy Spirit and the consequences of that. How that moment where I ignored that prompting of the Spirit, 30 years later, because it was 30 years ago, I am still feeling a little ashamed about it. It still haunts me to this day. I was working for the YMCA just for a year, 
I was the Assistant General Secretary of the City of Leeds YMCA. And during that time, came around to September, October, and a lot of students were coming to the uni, and we saw a lot of students come into the, uh, into the center, right down there in the center of the, the town. It's gone now, it's been redevelopment. We had a, a, a huge, great edifice of a building, Victorian building, right in the center of the, the city. And so, you know, students would come down and sort of hang out and sort of find out what resources we had and all the rest of it. And of all these students, there was this one guy called Ken. And I think he'd, I may be wrong, but I think he'd come up from the West Country. And, you know, Fliss and I, we know the West Country fairly well, and I sort of got a brief take on him and came away, and suddenly I felt the Lord saying to me, you've got to go and befriend Ken. So I thought, right, great, you know, really busy and all the rest of it, and he used to come in most evenings and watch a bit of TV, play a bit of snook and stuff like that. I thought, yeah, okay, great. Uh, but, you know, it was busy. And I can remember cycling back, you know, to home, and at the end of the evening, saying, oh, God, sorry, you... <sighs> I don't know where the time went. I, 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 yeah, tomorrow. I'll, I'll speak to Ken tomorrow. I'll speak to Ken tomorrow. Next day would come, and again, I would miss it. And this went on for a few days. I don't mind telling you. And I was beginning to feel a bit sick about myself about this. And I said to Fliss at the time, I said, there's this guy called Ken. He's a student. He's up from the West Country. Can we have him for lunch on Sunday? Not to eat, but, you know, as a guest. And... Um, and uh, she said, of course, yes. I said, right, okay, I got it. We're committed. And I forgot again. Monday comes along, I have a meeting with my boss first thing on Monday morning, just looking at, reviewing the weekend, looking at the week to come, and he begins by saying to me, he said, I've just had the most extraordinary uh, conversation, and I said, yeah, and he said, do you know a bloke called Ken, and he says the surname, and the surname's forgotten now, I said, well, I do as a matter of fact, it's funny you should mention him, and he said, well, I've just had him in here, and last Thursday, apparently, he was in town, and he was approached by some evangelists from the Unification Church. Now, some of you, if you're my age, you will remember the Unification Church. They were the Moonies. They are a banned organization in this country now. They are one of the very, very few organizations that the government actually said, this, this, you know, enough is enough, and they got banned. Their leader was a South Korean, a guy called, uh, he was a very, very, very wealthy industrialist, and he was called the Reverend Moon. And they developed a reputation for taking, for, for singling out vulnerable uh, young men and women who were just arriving into university towns, inviting, being super friendly, inviting them away for a weekend in the Dales or the seaside or wherever, a sort of house party thing, all expenses prayed, make a huge, great fuss of them, and then it began, the brainwashing. And they were convicted of brainwashing people. And they would, before they knew it, they would leave their course, they'd sign anything that they possessed over to the moonies. They would then be told to, to, dis, to uh, cut off themselves from their family. They were distraught families searching for their loved ones who they'd sent up to uni for the first time and how are you getting on and no reply and what's happening and all the rest of it. And they would be taken off to Amsterdam and other places in Europe and, and become missionaries themselves, gathering money, gathering... It was a pernicious organization. So on Thursday, Kev is approached, Ken is approached by members of the Unification Church. Come Friday... At five o'clock, he's on a minibus going up to the Lake District. He has a fabulous, life-changing experience. 
under the benign presence of Reverend Moon. He comes in because he feels like he's got to tell the, the, the YMCA what a bad job they did. So he comes in first thing on Monday morning and lambasts Jim and then is gone. And we never saw him again. I don't mind telling you, I do not feel good about that now. And all through that previous week, 10 days, the Spirit of God was saying to me, get to know Ken, Chris, please. Just, I know you're busy, you know the budget will wait. Just get to know Ken. You see, when we obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, honestly, on the upside, extraordinary things begin to happen. But disobedience, and of course, none of you are ever disobedient, it's only me. Disobedience sometimes has very, very serious consequences for someone. You know, we're not playing, you know, whist or scrabble here. We are playing for people's eternal destinies. And as we were coming in, listen, I've talked about this a number of times, the team have talked about this a number of times, but when we were coming in this morning, we, we actually felt we were praying and, and we just said, Lord, every single one of these chairs is for a Ken who isn't here yet. I don't know them all, but you know people like Ken. And these seats are for them. And what Father wants is, is that we get out of our circles of comfort which we cling to with such tenacity and just for a few moments walk across the room into the zone of the unknown and befriend someone, just have a coffee with them. And these Ken-like peoples are in your colleges. They're at the school gates when you go to pick up your kids. They're at work. They're at the golf club. They are in your circles of influence. They're in your circles of influence. It really is a challenge, I know. And we don't feel like we have all the answers yet. We don't feel like we, we, we know how to do this. But we can walk across a room and say, Hi, my name's Chris. And so it begins. You know, the, the truth of the matter is that that. Actually, once you've done it, it's not so difficult. But the consideration, the plucking up the courage to do it is often the most difficult thing. Just going to say hi to a stranger and have a conversation. You know, you may be an extrovert. You may do this all the time. You may be an introvert. But this is for all of us. Everybody gets to reach out to another. I want to show you a little bit of a... A clip, just a short, a short video clip. This is from a, a movie called We Bought a Zoo. In this conversation, there's a bit of wisdom, which I love. And in this clip, father and son are having a chat. Father's asking the son, how are you getting on with the girlfriend? And the son says, not really working. You know, I'm just tongue-tied in a presence. And he comes up with a, a little tip, which I just love. Let's run it, guys. Thank you. What happened with you and Lily? I don't know. I guess I didn't listen to something she told me or something. I mean, I liked her. It's like you embarrass yourself if you say something, and you embarrass yourself if you don't. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds. 
of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. Hi, my name's Chris. 20 seconds of insane courage. That may be all it takes. 20 seconds of insane courage. And as we look at the scriptures, as we consider that, Actually, we need to think about Jesus. He's the message. He's the one we bring. But actually, his example is, is there for all to see. And had he not shown extraordinary courage, then we would not be here today. Just read with me. It'll come up on the screen. Philippians chapter 2. It begins with just an encouragement to be church, really, to do what comes naturally. Verse 1, therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy, that's Paul speaking, by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and one of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests or needs, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, it's God the Father's plan that every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Every ken amongst us should have the opportunity to know the Lord Jesus. And talk about a walk across the room, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, perfect in community, perfect in love. No need of us, there's nothing that they lack. And yet the Son stepped out of his circle of comfort and walked across the room 
to give himself for us. As the band comes up, why don't we just stand and I'll pray. Please understand that as we preach and teach, Dennis is up next week, we're praying for more than just that, that you, you would be informed. We're praying for a fundamental sea change in the way we see ourselves and the way we do church. We, we're praying that we would find 20 seconds of courage from somewhere, that we would be able to tell our story, and we're praying that every seat in this room would be filled with the Kens who God is going to put in our way. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence and thank you that you, Jesus, risked everything to rescue us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would enable us to follow you and to risk ourselves in your name and for the sake of the kingdom. And everyone said, Amen.